Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip answers your questions such as, what are your thoughts on private equity being available in 401k plans as an investment option? What's the most important factor in investing? How do you determine the trend? What is the goal of the Fed by pumping all this money into the system? What is your favorite asset class for the next 10 to 20 years? Plus, an in-studio interview with Darlisa Diltz, owner of the North Texas Entrepreneur Education and Training Center. And now, here's Philip. Alrighty, we are back with another episode of Ask Philip Podcast. So t- this week was a really quick week. We had an interesting day in the stock market yesterday where it dropped a whole lot. I haven't actually looked at it this morning yet, but the futures uh, were up this morning be- before the market opened. So we'll see We'll see how this plays on. A little history. This was not one of the questions, but just so it's very typical in a in a bull market or a, a bear market because most bear markets last multiple years. And, and y'all know previous episodes, I'd say, hey, we're still in downtrend, still in downtrend as far as my metrics are looking at. But in a bear market, it, it lasts a while and you have rallies. And the funny part is I look at history, I read history, and then you study different. I've lived through, I've managed money investments through a bear market before and research the other ones and you and you the same thing happens every single time when you have the first big move down you have a lot of the big investors professional investors who get caught with some garbage inventory some things they don't really want to own but almost always retail investors get excited at the end and they run in for euphoria and they start buying the dip and buying the garbage, specifically the garbage. Like they don't even buy the good stuff. They buy the garbage in the euphoric phase, and it gives the big professionals somebody to unload on, and it happens over and over and over again. And yesterday, I'm pretty sure that's what happens, and let's see how the rest of the week plays out. So I also have a, a special guest today, Darlisa Diltz, and she has an entrepreneur center that she'll talk to us about. And I think it's important now because I like to have guests of all types, shapes, views, political opinions, colors on my podcast, but I'm going to do some segments specifically for black business given what's going on in the world today because I think one of the big ways that we can help close the wealth inequality gap is through business and entrepreneurship. And so I I wanted to have some people on who are um, helping with that cause and and Darlisa is, is one of them. And so... We're going to talk about that, and and I'm pretty sure that Lisa doesn't just work with black businesses, but she is a black business owner, so she fits she fit that mold. So I want to have her on and talk about that. Before we get to that, let's get to the first questions that we're going to cover on the podcast. So first question, Philip, what are your thoughts on private equity being available in 401k plans as an investment option? It's interesting. I actually like I forgot that was the first question, and I just went into my mini rant before about retail investors getting unloaded on. And so this is the first time that 401k plans are potentially going to be able to let individual investors or retail investors invest in private equity. But it's the same factor. Let me me give you a history of private equity. Private equity is you you can invest in companies like Amazon and Facebook and Apple that are publicly traded. So you can buy and sell stock freely on the market. But private equity owns private businesses. So like my business would be a uh, a private business or Steve's business or Dalisa's business, a private business that you can't, you have to come to us to buy it if you want to buy into it. It's not freely traded. So private equity buys stakes in private businesses. 
uh, and they have been making lots of money for for a long period of time. And so what's happening in, in asset classes all around the world, everything is expensive. Private equity is expensive. Venture capital is expensive. Stocks are expensive. Real estate is relatively expensive. And it makes complete sense that private equity will pressure the powers that be to allow retail investors with all that with all that money in 401k plans to be able to invest in private equity because they've heard about the returns that were made and they haven't been able to get access to it unless you're an accredited investor. And so now they're like, oh man, we we can now participate in these great returns. And they think that it's benevolent. They think that private equity is saying, hey, we're out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going to let you participate in the returns that we've been making. I'm like, no, it's the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, they understand the global environment that we're in, that money is drying up and they need liquidity to get out. And they know the ones that know are not going to just, they're, they're not going to be able to sell at the price that they want to for people that know better. People who don't know better, retail investors, they're going to dump more. Like this happens over and over and over again. It happened in real estate. It happened in tech stocks in 99. It happened in real estate flipping in 06, 07, 08. What happened in <laughs> cryptocurrency? It's a technical textbook or, or or a textbook game plan that is played on retail investors over and over and over again. So while I'm always a fan of having investors have access to more investments than less and more asset classes than less, just be careful because private equity is not something that I would invest in at this moment. That they are <laughs> benevolently, with air quotes allowing people to invest in a private equity through 401k plans. And it's actually like, as you as you really have to get to know this stuff, you're like, man, this is kind of criminal. Not really criminal, but they do the public wrong on purpose. It, this, is, this is not a coincidence that they're doing it at this point in time. So just my two cents on it. Next question. What's the most important factor in investing? And let me clarify what this what this person was was really asking me. They were asking me, Philip, when you're looking at everything in investing and you're making investment decisions, what are some of the things that you're that you're looking at? There's really three things, right? Three things that I'm looking at in investing. I'm looking at what's the economic trend, right? What trend are we in? And the and there's four trends, right? It's rising global growth, slowing global growth, rising inflation, falling inflation, because different asset classes perform differently in in those different environments. And if you listen to a few of my podcasts, you might have heard this before because it's it's core in picking up the economic trend. So so I'm 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 looking at the trend because markets trend, like just like weather, just like sports, just like things on social media, just like on just like fashion, everything trends. And so if you can pick up the trend, it's and and you can invest with the trend you you have the potential to make a lot of money and historically it shows that 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 you do well and and it, a long term economic trend doesn't last like days weeks or months right these are multi year trends so you don't have to predict the next one you don't it's it's like the weather you don't have to predict the weather in august to dress appropriately you just know hey like the trend is hot i need some more flip flops t-shirts and shorts to dress appropriately right and then you go outside the next day the trend is still hot, you know what it is, and then around fall, September, you start saying, oh, okay, it's cooling off a little bit, the trend is changing, let me adjust my wardrobe accordingly. The markets work the same way, you don't have to, you don't have to pick the future, so the trend is really important. But another thing that, that I look at is investor sentiment uh, for the extremes, right? So for the most part, investors are kind of in the middle, but they hit extremes, right? The time When it's time to really invest and get aggressive, the majority of retail investors are nervous and fearful. And at the time when it's time to play it cool and be more conservative, like right now, 
the majority of the investors are becoming day traders. You, you see Facebook stock groups. You see people who typically were not not aggressive in stocks wanting to manage their own portfolio. Like you see all these things, and it happens over and over and over again, right? It happened, again, 99, late 60s. And, and it's probably generational because the 50 and 60-year-olds who lived through 08 are not specifically the ones who were participating in the euphoria. They were the ones that dealt with the euphoria in in, in in 2008, right? And their parents were the ones that dealt with the euphoria in 19, uh, I'm sorry, not, not 2008, in, in 1999, right? Uh, their parents were the one that participated in the euphoria in the late 60s. So it's kind of a generational thing where every generation forgets what the previous generation learned and they, they ignore the bubble signs from investor euphoria and repeat the mistake over and over again. So sentiment is a is a is a is a big one. And then the third one that I look at is understanding economies and how they work because every economy no matter what political system it's in, no matter what country it's in, uh, no matter what time period you look at, they all work the same way, just like the human body, right? All, all of our hearts pump blood. There's a little differences to bodies, but for the most part like it, it works based off the heart pumping blood and all that stuff, which I'm complete, I'm completely ignorant to uh, the body and how it works outside of the heart pumps blood. But the point is, economies work the same way. And if you understand that, then you understand, okay, here's what's going on right now and why. And here's kind of the next logical step. And so I put those three together to create an investment strategy, looking at the current trend, investor sentiment, and how the economy works. And, and let me let me give you some specific examples, right? So 50s and 60s, global growth was... Not fast, but not slow. It, it, it was picking up specifically in the U.S. And so during that time, just U.S. stocks in general did really, really well, right? Towards the end of the 60s, it began to slow down. And you had the Nifty 50, which are kind of the, the fang stocks of today. Those did well. In the 70s, you had slowing global growth and lots of money printing, which means hard assets did well. Also gold, hard assets being like real estate, commodities, all that kind of stuff. Gold did well. Rising global growth in the 80s, emerging economies did well. In late 90s, global growth slowed. So you had growth stocks, financially strong stocks that did well. Early 2000s, rising global growth, emerging markets did well. 2012, 2019, slowing global growth, growth stocks, financially strong stocks did well. And so it, if you go back and listen to that again, you'll see, oh, okay, in this environment, these same types of stocks do or asset classes do well in the same type of an environment. And the time periods were like, again, not a quarter, not a week, not a month. It was a multi-year time period. And you just have to build a system that can pick up that trend, which is not hard, believe it or not, and pay attention, understand how economies work. Be more like a weatherman than a, or a weather woman than a, a fortune teller. Alrighty, I got three more questions, but before I go there, I'm going to get into this next interview because I'm excited to learn about resources and opportunities for small businesses in DFW. So, Darlisa, how are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. What, so, tell, tell everybody the name of your company and, 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 and your origin story. How did you start it? You know, where, you know, where the idea came from? What's your favorite football team? All that kind of stuff. 
no favorite football team. Uh, we can get that out of the way. Um, so name of the center is the North Texas Entrepreneur Education and Training Center. That is the historical name. We are moving to a flexible workspace and training facility, which is called the Center North Texas. And the education center will be housed inside of the Center North Texas. How I got started. So I didn't come from entrepreneurship. Growing up, I didn't see entrepreneurship. I didn't know what that was. And um, I was very blessed to be in a lot of circles. I'm a cool nerd, so I learned for fun and went to school, went to college, and tried to climb that corporate ladder, only to realize it was a step stool. And through my professional triumphs, um, I was kind of pushed into entrepreneurship because I enjoyed helping people learn what I had learned. And um, someone just started paying me for helping them with their business. And that's how I came into entrepreneurship. So over the course of the years, um, it, it was always a, a goal of mine to have my own training center to help people that may be like me. Um, that didn't know about entrepreneurship or didn't have access to entrepreneurship. So providing a space where they can come and have access to entrepreneurship at a level playing field where it's not, you know, you have to enter at a certain level, you have to have a certain status. Um, and so we provide entrepreneurial education for the non-traditional entrepreneur. So maybe they've had some hurdles in their life and, they can't get traditional funding or lending or what have you um, if they don't know anything about entrepreneurship and how to get started. Um, if they have been incarcerated and, you know, they're looking to make money or maybe they're high school students and they don't want to go to college. They want to go right into entrepreneurship. So uh, we provide an educational platform for aspiring entrepreneurs. Okay, and, and so what's some of that education? Like, give me like an example of, because uh, it's a lot that goes into entrepreneurship. But what, what are some of the things that y'all help with? So we actually have a core curriculum um, that we developed. So it encompasses um, the learning portion and then the technical portion, meaning you learn about entrepreneurship all the way from self-development through revenue generation. And then there's a technical component where you actually run a business, but you're doing it with a safety net of um, the network and entrepreneurs surrounded around you. Um, but you actually have to run a business, which is your business, and make the determination if entrepreneurship is something that you really want to do. So that's the one program, and that is called CORE, our CORE program. Um, but in addition to that, we partner with local entrepreneurs and allow them to do classes that involve entrepreneurship. So it can be taxation, it could be marketing, it could be how to do a performa, writing a business plan, et cetera. So all of the components needed to successfully run a business, we have those courses throughout our space. Um, the goal is to provide low-cost resources for pre-venture and startup entrepreneurs. So if you think of um, a WeWork, marrying maybe an SBDC, that's kind of where we are. So we're kind of like the starting point for aspiring entrepreneurs. Maybe you have an idea 
and you want to push it through, but you don't really know where to get started and you don't really know if this is truly what you want to do. We encourage you to come get involved in our center, get involved in our program so you can know if entrepreneurship is really for you. That way you're not risking all of your savings. You're not putting all this stuff out there and you're able to learn what entrepreneurship is all about. So how we run, as I mentioned, we partner with local entrepreneurs. So we want to grow entrepreneurship for that low hanging fruit. So maybe you're a side hustler and you have minimal clients, um, but you want to strengthen that process, come through us, we'll help you to build that. And then we partner you with some of the other resources that are out there. Because when you think about a lot of the consultants or some of the business service organizations or some of the programs, for example, Goldman Sachs or emerging leaders or something like that, they want you to be at a certain place in your business, even down to some of the certifications that you get. You have to be at a certain point in your business. But what if you don't know how to get there, Mm. right? So we kind of help, not kind of help, we help you to get to that point or determine, "Mm, maybe I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was all about. So for those that feel that entrepreneurship is not right for them, now they've acquired some additional skills. Maybe it is um, professional speaking. They now can look at a budget and they can put together a budget. They know how to um, have a do a proposal. So now they can take those skills and they can apply that to an actual job. Uh, We have partnerships with some of the workforce commissions and um, with the other local entrepreneurs that may have a job for them or they can work in or around entrepreneurship, but not really be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, our motto is to be the community triage for entrepreneurship. We want to get the people in help them, assess them, and then get them to the right people. Okay, yeah. It sounds kind of like a um, a tech incubator, but for businesses that none, that don't necessarily have to be involved in, in, in tech, which is which is important. And I like what you said about uh, not jumping, you know, not having to, like entrepreneurship on training wheels. Cause I see a lot of people who get in and just wreck their balance sheet because, um, you know, because they just didn't understand uh, everything involved, you know, so no, I'm, I'm glad. So, um, what about like money? Because that's, that's really important. I think people underestimate money and and money could be like getting somebody to invest in it or money can be, you know, how do you work while you're building your business so that you could pay your, pay your bills and give yourself time to reinvest back into the business? Um, well, we strongly encourage all of our participants to keep their job. We work a lot with the side hustle entrepreneurs, or maybe they've been recently laid off or, you know, what have you, but we encourage them to have a flow of income um, because there's a stigma out there that entrepreneur resources should be free. Entrepreneurship is not free because you have a business. So you want people to buy your product. So why should everybody else's product be free? So we encourage them to keep a job, have a job, but we help them to work through transitioning what that looks like, how to get their side business scalable to the point where they can transition full time into it. So we preach you got to have money. Uh, we get a lot of questions about starting nonprofits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone, you know, they're passionate about what they want to do and what, how they want to go into business. And so they're like, well, we're going to get started nonprofit and we're going to get all these grants. And it's like, 
Yeah, no, you're not. Like, right. no. <laughs> yeah, why, why is that? I know a lot of people who want to do I'm, I'm always like, why, why would you? I never even thought about starting a nonprofit. Why do people want to do nonprofits? Because it feels right. You know, they feel like because it's a cause, um, you know, and that stigma of getting grants. Like, there's this whole big thing of if you're a nonprofit, then you qualify more for grant funds and what have you. But what they don't realize the is. The is broke. Well, the government is broke, and then you have a lot of big fish out there that are applying for these same grants. Prime example, economic relief funds, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all these major players that are applying for these same grants, and so you're a little fish that really was just born, or maybe your mother fish is pregnant with you, and you think you're going to get a grant in lieu of all these other ones. Now, are there some grants out there? Yes, but that shouldn't be the basis of your business, right? Right. Um, so we encourage people to have a flow of revenue to support, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit so, business. And so I'm really asking you, because you, you know the psychology of, of, of some people. And, and I mean, because I've always thought, when I talk to somebody who's going into business and I'll say, why? You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, my passion... You know, it's my passion and blah, 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 blah. And this is, you know, they they talk a lot about mission and passion and they make it altruistic, which, by the way, like, I don't think you could go into any business you're not passionate about because it's hard and you'll get bored, right? But that, that that's like saying, um, I mean, I drank water today. Like, yeah, you're supposed to drink water. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you have to live. I think people are uncomfortable with like saying, no, I want to make money. I want to be, you know, like I think there's a stigma with making money and yeah, just stigma with making money. Do you, do you feel that way too? Well, I'm going to take it um, a step further, um, especially in lieu of kind of what we're going through right now. So that stigma is typically in minority or black owned businesses. Mm-hmm. You rarely find non-black business owners saying they're going to start a nonprofit. They're going to go into business to help others because of that fear of making money. And the reason for that is because we, I'm going to say we, as a black community, we don't understand money. We don't understand financial wealth. We don't understand what that means. And so we feel like in order to get support for starting our business, it has to represent a cause. It has to represent um, helping other people so that we feel like we'll get the help that we need. Mm -hmm. So they feel like if they go into a nonprofit business, then, you know, it's okay because they don't want to seem greedy. Right. Mm -hmm. And most of the businesses are started out of a pain point. It's something that they've experienced. It's something that they have lost is something that they've gone through. So that's why that passion is there. So maybe they have experienced not having good hair. So what do they do? They start selling hair or they start doing hair on the side, which helped them to get through some hard times. Or for me, for even myself, the business resource center, right? I didn't have that. So that's why I started the business to help and but there is a a thing of wanting to have it as a nonprofit because it feels better um because a lot of black businesses are afraid to approach for money 
Uh, one, because of our culture, you know, we just don't support each other. So, you, you, you know what, but this, you know, I, I do, I do, I don't want to say challenge, but think, but think about this. Okay. Think about this. Cause a lot of people say we don't support each other, but I think that's a narrative because I've had, you know, and maybe it's my mindset, but if I think about who's like, I've had all kinds of race support me. But if I think about like who goes to bat for me, like it's been black people who like literally like risk their neck, you know, f- for me. But even the ones that I might overlook, they help me. Uh, there's some people who help me. Like you, you, it's like a what's what's the saying? It's, it's like a Jesus parable where he said, "Hey, you know, this person over here gave. I'm just making it up five thousand dollars, but this poor lady gave two cents, but it was all she had. Right? You know what I mean? And so I've had lots of people who who had a lot. And and they gave me five thousand dollars, which which I'm appreciative of, and it was a lot. It wasn't a, it wasn't meaningful to their deal. But there were some people who didn't have. It was a lot of people who didn't have much, and they just gave me their entire network. Like it didn't do much for me because they didn't have any money. So that's kind of been my experience because in in my especially in my business, and I've seen white guys, and this is like this is not their fault, but because for so long we have. We were enslaved. We just got the ability to vote 60 years ago. Uh, we They, like, burned down our black Wall Streets. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, put, you know, had a war on drugs that was just on our community. But I went to a high school that was predominantly white, and they were doing coke and everything in the bathroom. And there's no war on drugs in the suburbs. You know what I mean? So it's a whole lot of systematic stuff that, um, despite that, like, we got... There's only been like a black president outside of any other culture, right? Um, we have, I think, there's more black billionaires than any other culture that was self-made in America, right? So we've, so we've pulled up our bootstraps and done and done the deal. But 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 my point in saying that is, um, it's different when you see the white guy who starts out and he's able to go to his uncle, exactly. who you know who he had resources that that we didn't have, and so they they made more money. And by the way, like some people get two talents, some people get five, some people get ten. Don't count somebody else's talent. Try right? just a story in the Bible. Just double yours. I'm like, cool. But I'm always challenging the narrative of black people don't support. I'm like, it's not that we don't support. We just don't have as much. But for what we got, I mean, I would give us a, a high grade for what we're doing today. And and that's a valid explanation. So I see some um, commonality in that statement. Um, definitely agree with what you mentioned about, you know, the different talents and the portions and uh, what have you. Um, so to maybe not alter it, but to add to that statement, for example, the, um, beauty industry. So like beauty supply stores, right? Many of us will go to an Asian owned beauty supply store and shop, right? Granted, the prices are a lot cheaper, but not understanding that by going and supporting a minority one, you're really kind of pushing the bar because mm-hmm. they have monopolized that market so that the black businesses have to have their prices a little bit higher. So instead of like going all in and saying, you know, I'm going to give my last $5 for an eyebrow pencil, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, that prices are too high or the nail salons, right? To get a black owned nail salon. That's very rare. So their prices have to be higher because they have to spend more on their inventory, right? Yeah. So to that degree, it's like, well, why do we why would we go there when their prices are higher? But not understanding 
it has to be that way, right, you know, right. because of the, you know, monopoly. But, you know, I digress there. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. But it is getting better. It is getting have, have you better. heard? Have you heard of all the black um, restaurants that are just like overwhelmed this past week? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, there's some there's some gold and everything. I'm, I'm, I need to think, um, you know, the current environments are terrible, but, you know, it's, it's, it's bringing back the support and the rallying around black we businesses and getting that. Yeah. So no, it's good. Um, no, get, get stuff. So, so, and let me clarify your, your center, your entrepreneur center is not just for minorities. No, um, no, right, we so. do service all. Um, so we serve the underserved, underutilized, underrepresented market, whatever that stands for. So you kind of mentioned it. We call it a community for entrepreneurs, non-traditional entrepreneurs. So, not the tech heavy, not the capital heavy, you know, it is the true, maybe you have a mom and pop, maybe you have a side hustle, maybe, you know, this is something you've been stewing on for a while and we just want to help you get that ball rolling so that you can set your foundation solid enough to start approaching some of these um, bigger opportunities, whether it be certifications, whether it be partnerships, whether it be, you know, sustainability to the point where you want to do multiple businesses or what have you. So we just provide um, a lesser cost offering for those. So prime example, we work with foster care systems where children are aging out of the foster care system and they're told to go and get a job. Well, you can't really tell someone that's been in the system the whole time to just dump them into the world and Mm -hmm. say, live, right? Because they don't get it. Uh, but they have a lot of talents that could be turned into entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, nonviolent felons, right? Maybe they have something on their records where they can't go and get a job, right? But they are awesome at mechanics or they are awesome at whatever it is that they do, their trade. So we want to help them to craft that. Um, or maybe, you know, it could be a single mom, a single family, you know, maybe they, she's been a stay at home mom the whole time. And now he or she, they're finding themselves in a divorce situation. So now they're having to generate revenue on their own. So, you know, working with that non-traditional population to help them understand the benefits of entrepreneurship and give them entrepreneurship as an option. Um, And we are the first and only black owned woman owned business resource center here in the DFW market. Mm, that's that, that's pretty cool. Um, la- last question, what are some of the trends in business? Because let me let me preface it with, you know, technology, there, there's a mismatch in skills f- for jobs and for making money in technology, whether it's a job or a business and the current economy. I kind of look at it like 100 years ago when we went from industrial uh, from from farming to industrial, you know, now we're going from industrial to tech for the next, you know, 100 years. And and not that you have to only do tech, but what are some trends in non-tech jobs that you see or that you think or feel are not going to get eliminated or destroyed or incomes lowered through tech? Well, one, the food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, people are always going to want to eat. So that is always going to be something that uh, will be around. Um, I'm going to say learning platforms. Mm. People are becoming more knowledgeable. So they are 
imparting their knowledge. So consulting, um, trainings, development of some sort will always be a tangible job because people like teaching people how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and education. Mm-hmm. So consulting and education kind of can be the same, mm-hmm. but you're always going to have to educate people. You know, it's a good one. And I don't mean to put you on the spot and you don't have to do it. And, I don't, and I'm going to put Steve on the spot too. He 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 might want to come through. But I think podcasting is a, is a, is, and we talked about it offline, but, but, but here's what podcasting is going to do, right? Because you have all these sales forces. When was the last time you answered a phone call that you didn't know or somebody knocked on your door? And you answered and bought something. I mean, not even you don't even answer. So, that, so, so my point is like sales over the last hundred years was built, you know, spending money to have people like become human robots and just robot people. And I really see pe- people say, "Oh, I can't build a Tim Ferriss podcast." That's not the goal. You know, salespeople are making six figures for for years, and there's all these corporations that need to reach your network, your thousand people network, or your two thousand people network. And you can get four people to pay you twenty five thousand a year, or twenty four thousand a year, to access your audience on a weekly basis and sell their stuff, right? I mean, it's a whole, and that's not, you know, um, that's that may be like a, and I'm, you know, uh, those are like ideas that I think of when I'm thinking like, tech's not going to destroy that because, like you said, we need to be educated, we need consulting, and it's a way to make money around it. Just as another idea, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn. (laughs) You're like, yeah, okay, okay. I don't know enough about the podcasting platform to comment on it, but I'll do my research. Yeah, it's 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 like a radio show on the internet. That's all it is. You you don't have to have permission from a radio station to set up your own podcast. You can just do it. You 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 know Joe Rogan? Not really. Joe Joe Rogan just got a podcast bought for like a hundred million dollars. A podcast. They bought his podcast for a hundred million dollars. It just, mm. it, yeah, it's, it's, it go, Joe? yeah, it's like crazy money in there. So anyway. Is that where you're heading? No, I don't love, I'm just, all I'm trying to do is just build, build my company, you know, make my little, make my little money with my little fan base building my company. But, um, no, I don't, I don't, no, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know, by the way, I don't rule it out. Yeah. You know, if somebody says, Hey, I want to pay you a hundred million dollars for your podcast. Well, cool. Yeah. Sweet. All I got to do is keep doing this. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so no, those, any other, any other job ideas? I, cause I really am curious. I'm all, I'm always thinking my healthcare. mind. Healthcare. Healthcare is a big one. Healthcare. Well, we won't get away from healthcare. Real estate. Real estate's a good one too. We'll never get away from real estate. Mm-hmm. But the list could go on. So, so like somebody want to say, I want to become a realtor, but I don't know where to start. Y'all could help with that too. Absolutely. Um, and there may not be a class per se, for that, however, we have built our network where we have many people that are in real estate that can help them or mentor them or walk them through it. Um, if we were to get a lot of interest in one particular sector, so be it real estate or be it construction or be it um, cosmetology or what have you, what we would then do is pull together a bunch of resources and then offer a course on, you know, becoming effective in that industry okay sky's the limit well i appreciate you sharing let everybody know where they can find you on like social media your website wherever you 
wherever you think is best. Um, so if you Google Darlisa Diltz, um, you'll definitely find me there. Um, the name of the center is the North Texas Entrepreneur Education and Training Center, acronymed NTEETC. And we are NTEETC on every platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, probably on the bathroom walls, whatever. <laughs> um, that's where you'll find us. Y'all have any um, TikTok videos out? I don't like TikTok. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> so, no, we don't. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one I haven't got on yet. Yeah, I I got on it because my son is on it, and I created it, and I was like, you know what? This is really dumb, and I don't need more social media, so I deleted it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you ever fully delete that stuff, though? I tried to delete my Snapchat. I can't figure out how to delete it. I deleted mine, so I don't know. Maybe it's still floating somewhere, but I don't use it. Huh. Yeah, you're probably right. I probably just didn't try hard enough. Well, look, so feel free to, you know, hang out with us if if you want. I got two or three more questions, or you can roll whatever you think is. Yeah, hey, I'm is, here. All righty. So next question. Philip, how do you determine the trend? I kind of touched upon it before, right? The biggest factor is once you understand how the economy works. And let me give it to you in context of what's going on right now, right? So if... If if you've studied economies like I have over different time periods and, and nerded out on different asset class that perform well in different points in the economy, then hey, when the the US for the last whatever, hundred or so years almost has been the dominant world power, really like seventy ish years, has been the dominant world power, and we're we're towards the end of that economic and militaristic power being challenged by other countries and technology, then, then you say, okay, whenever countries are here, right, and and, and and one of the key things that knows that when you know that, that, that you're here is there's a lot of debt in the system, there's a lot of dollars out there, a lot of debt denominated in dollars, you have low interest rates which reflect that, which, which means in order to get out of our when the economy got in trouble before, they can just lower interest rates, and it put money in the system, and it flooded the system. Right? Think of think of money in an economy like blood. If you don't have enough blood, you you become anemic, right? If you don't have enough money in the economy, you have recession. So lowering interest rates put money in the system. So now when interest rates are at zero, you can't lower, so you got to print money. So you know, okay, like we're towards the end, and so then you understand, okay, if I understand how this thing works, how how would a government Fix this environment, right? Because basically, when, when all asset price returns are going to use interest rates as a benchmark, and what that means in non-nerd terms is, if interest rates are relatively higher, you can expect all asset prices to be relatively higher in the in the future. If they're lower, you can expect them to be lower in the future, and and so then because of that, then investors start seeking um, growth through finding companies that are eating the old companies. Those are growth stocks. Think of Amazon, Facebook, Google, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of gives you an example of understanding the economy and understanding where we are and how to position. Then you also understand, okay, if if things are slowing down, how do governments almost always, if not always, get out of a situation where there's low interest rates, which and I'm going super nerd, but low interest rates basically is people will say, well, isn't that good because we can borrow more? Well, 
Maybe, but slow growth is bad for governments because they're not going to be able to pay off their debt with slow growth, right? With slow growth, that means tax payments to the governments are slowing down. They have a growing amount of debt that they have to support. And so that's bad. Like, think of it this way. If your income slowed down and you're still accumulating debt, that's bad for you. So think that's what's happening to governments when you have a slow period of time right now. And so the way that governments almost always, if not always, gets out of this big debt problem is they print money. They literally create money out of thin air, monopoly money. I've done some episodes on it. And what that does is it makes the value of the money worth less intentionally, right? And people tend to say, okay, I don't, I don't trust this as much. So I want to go to things like gold and hard assets and all that kind of stuff, which I covered before. And so the way you determine the trend is you look at everything and you and you can say, okay, here's where we are in the picture and then I also look at technical. So technical analysis is looking at looking at market momentum. And I don't know how to explain this in, in non-nerd terms, other than to say it gives you an objective way to look at market momentum. And then and so you look at the whole picture. So you say, all right, how are stocks moving? How are bonds moving? How are commodities moving? How is gold moving? How is the you know U.S. dollar moving to the Australian dollar? How does oil move? And so just don't, I'm not going to be able to explain how to analyze that. You have to just do the work, understand how to do it. But it paints you a picture because you can see what's doing well relative to other asset classes. And it gives you a picture of the trend, right? You can understand the quote unquote weather, what season we're in based on how asset class are performing relative to each other. And that's a that's a big weighting that I use to determine trends. So I look at the big picture economic scenario and what's happening now versus what's going to happen next versus what's happened in the past. And I l- use technicals to say, okay, let me look at how everything's trading relative to each other to give me re- timing, like how to position now based on that information, based on what's going on in in the economic cycle. And then investor sentiment, I don't always use, but I, I really use it when there's extremes, like when... My economic analysis and my technicals are in line with investor sentiment. I'm very confident, meaning if, if if they're saying we're in a recession and there's euphoria in retail investors, right? They're, they are taking too much risks because of euphoria. Then I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm highly confident I'm right. Or if economics analysis and technical analysis says that we should be aggressive because it's the beginning of a bull market cycle and people are still fearful. Retail investors are still fearful because they lost a lot. Think of like 2009, 10, 11. People were super fearful, but everything said it's good to be aggressive, right? That's when I'm highly confident because on extremes, I tend to do the opposite of investor sentiment, especially when it lines up with the with the data. And so that's how I analyze the trend, right? It's uh, looking at really those three things and you can determine the trend well off of those three things. Next question. What is the goal of the Fed by pumping all this money into the system? Contrary to what people believe, the Fed like knows actually what they're doing. Like the Fed is people think that the Fed doesn't know we're in the bubble. The reality is in the Fed, when I say Fed, that's like the central bank people, the bankers who control the money supply in around the world basically. Uh, they know they're smarter than me. They they know we're in the bubble. And they don't really care about bubbles because all the, what they really care about is putting a Band-Aid on the situation r- right now. And so the, the Fed knows that if they don't create the bubble, the alternative is a really big depression. And a lot of people are going to be unhappy in the short term. 
And and even though long term it might be it's financially healthier for the system to go through these periods of wiping out this debt and letting corporations that should fail fail, they're worried about the pain of going through that and the conflict in society and, and whether we could survive that. And then there's also political pressure from the people because like follow the money, right? So follow the money. So what politicians know, and I know the Fed is separate from politicians, but quote unquote, but they get pre- political pressure. You have corporations who are giving money to elect politicians and politicians need money to be other politicians. And so if the corporations dry up, that's giving them the money. How are they going to beat the other politicians? So it's a it's a whole system that's 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 built to just like what we call crony capitalism, right? They're going to create the money to bail out the companies who elect them, <laughs> whether they're they're right or wrong. And again, I'm not I'm trying to not make this a political statement. This is just money. Like this is just facts, right? Because when people talk about free market capitalism, that what that means to me is no matter what the excuse. If you fail, you fail, right? Failing doesn't mean the company go away. It means you wipe out the shareholders and you start fresh with new shareholders if you can raise money for the for the company. And that just doesn't happen in the system that we're currently in. And it's getting worse. Like they're the, the they're they're bailing out tons of companies that should just wipe out the shareholders and start um, fresh. But they don't care about bubbles. They know we're in a bubble. They're trying to put a bandaid on this and kick. The problem down the road and every time they do that it gets worse and worse and worse right and so that the fed's goal really right now is just to try to in the short term avoid this pain and it and it's not an american thing again you can look at multiple societies multiple periods of time and this is what they just this is what they do right it's what it's why so many people in the crypto space don't like central banks because they're subject to human flaws human emotions the 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 self-preservation instinct, not even self-preservation, but the self-preservation instinct of people in power, right? They're going to, if they're in power, they're going to do everything they can to stay in power, which means bail out their corporations and all this kind of stuff, right? And and, and, and again, for those of y'all who know me, I'm like a free market capitalist, but this is just not free market capitalism, right? This is, this is, this is, this is socialism or welfare for corporations. So I'm getting off my soapbox. I'm going to the next question. Last question. What is your favorite asset class for the next 10 to 20 years? For those of you who know, I like to invest based on a process. And so this kind of question, I don't even know if I'd actually really do this in real life, but it was a good thought experiment that I was asked. And really, if I had to bet on one asset class, it's really predicated on what has the most upside for with with the least downside, right? It's called asymmetry, right? What I like to find opportunities that are have a high upside if it works out. And a low downside if it if it doesn't, and and so since so so since everything right now is relatively expensive, and except for emerging markets, emerging markets are cheap, but putting money there aggressively right now may not be good because emerging markets are probably a lot of corporations in those markets are probably going to go bankrupt and they're going to wipe out the shareholders o- over time, right? Because again, that that's kind of happened before when you have a dollar shortage. They tend to make it to emerging markets last, and they need dollars to pay out their dollar-denominated debt. So, the what what I would what I would actually bet on for the next ten years or so, if I had to put some money somewhere and not be able to touch it, is actually Bitcoin. And the the, the big reason is 
we're, we're at the end of the current world order, right? And whenever you hear new world order, it's not some big conspiracy. It's just like what money controls the world, right? 70 years ago, it was the pound that everybody used around the world. The last 70 years, it was the dollar. The next 70 years is not going to be the dollar. Nobody knows what it's going to be because China's currency, even though they're a rising power, nobody trusts that currency. And I always talk about, look at the young lion versus old lion concept, right? The, the the young lion never goes up to the older lion and says, hey, would you mind letting me become the leader of your <laughs> of this pride or whatever it's called? Right? They take it. And so that happens over and over and over again. And so you have the young people that are the future. I mean, they're already billionaires, right? The tech people are already billionaires, but they're going to get more and more wealth and power over time as things play out. And you have young gamers who grow up where it's nothing for them to trade currency on video games to do different things. Like it's just, it's like saying, people were saying seven years ago, I'm never going to be on Facebook. Yes, you are. I'm never going to be on Instagram. Yes, you are. People are saying, I'm never going to use cryptocurrency. Yes, you are. Because the people, the young people are using it. And, and, it, and it's and it's time. Now, there might be different ones outside of Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is really the only one. That, it's the first one and the one that's proven itself. Not the first one, but the first one that's lasted, that's proven itself. Um, it's decentralized. So all so all the reason that people hate the central bank in the current system where it's centralized power, where a few people can control the money, right? Bitcoin is decentralized. Think of it this way. Here's a better way to explain it. So us having this podcast, right? And or YouTube channels or or blog posts. Thirty years ago, the way that we all got news was three channels. And they were in the, the CIA and everybody else told them what they could and couldn't say on, online. And what the internet has done is allowed bottom-up news focus, meaning today the stories are controlled by the people, right? The people control the narrative or they have power over the narrative in stories from a bottom-up process. And if you look at the trajectory of the world, right, the 200 years ago, you had the feudal system in Britain, or I don't know how many, maybe it's more than 200 years ago, but you had a system where... You had kings and lords, and there were lots of peasants, right? There's a lot less peasants today. The world is better than it was then, and so you have a you have a continuum of progress to a more decentralized world. And so the internet opened up the internet decentralized communication. That that was that's what it did. It decentralized communication designed actually by the if you don't know this, I don't know if it's the CIA or whoever, but the U.S. government needed a way to. Uh, decentralized communication so that so that if we got bombed in one area you could communicate from anywhere right so that's how it ended up forming and so it ended up progressing into what we have right now where i can have my own podcast and spit my own propaganda to my own people (laughs) people who listen to me and so the same thing in my opinion will happen with money where people realize oh wait a minute like they created 10 trillion dollars out of thin air let me understand how money really works because when you when you dig down to money you'd be like and this is the house of cards. Like, this is some bull crap, you know? And once the public wakes up and realizes how the system is running, then they'll see, oh, these are why these young tech nerds like like decentralized money, like Bitcoin, because it, it puts the control of money in people's hands. Think about this. It, isn't it weird to y'all that we go into a bank and they ask us all kinds of questions about what we're going to do with our money? Like, it's my money. Like, what are you talking about? I can't pull out $10,000 today? It's it's my money. Last time I checked, I thought that was my money. I paid the taxes. I left it in there, right? But it's so common for us to be, for for our money, for them to have an entity tell us what we can and can't do with our own money. And so cryptocurrency or Bitcoin 
is going to do to money what the internet did to communication, right? Now, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, nobody really knows. But my point is, if I had to place a bet, I would I would bet on that trend for the next 10, 20, 30 years and lock it up because it's a foregone conclusion. They're not going to stop it, right? Um, um, America was formed because they were like, we want more freedoms, right? And the, and the young lion always wins. <laughs> you know what I mean? The young lion always wins, right? It's just it's just human evolution. I'll be the old lion one day, and our system will get de- dethroned. But it's how humans evolve and new things come about. So that's that would be my investment of choice. Bitcoin. I think that's the that's the episode, Darlisa. I appreciate you hanging out and listening to my my rants and raves about money and investing. Thank you for having me. It was very interesting. I have questions for you after this. Okay, absolutely. Hey, look, if you want to ask it now, you can, but you can ask it afterwards too. So my question, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, you mentioned about how the recreation of dollars devalues the dollar. And then you talked a little bit about the new world currency and all that kind of stuff. Do you feel like it is all a part of like a conspiracy? So we had coronavirus to hit, then we had this new pandemic and now we have all this stuff do you think it's in an effort to get us ready to transition to this new economic spending or this new money so no i'm not a big conspiracy theorist i i think what happens in life is you have human beings we were designed with a self-preservation mechanism that ends up dialing loading into thousands of humans all at once, right? So some people call it inspiration. But if you look at like inventions, most of the time when an invention was made, really there's like hundreds of people who had the idea across the world simultaneously. And just the one that gets the credit is the one that moves faster and and gets it. So I think when you look at global warming or the initiative towards more sustainable fuels and you look at all this kind of stuff, it's the instinct that we have to continue to evolve and, and preserve. But on, on the reverse side of that, you also have those in power that aren't coordinating, but it's just human nature. Like it's human nature to want to preserve your power. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if you feel like people are coming to threaten what you've built, you're going to protect it, right? And it's, again, I don't think it's some, there, there, there's pockets of people who conspire, but I don't think it's seven people behind the curtains that are conspiring to, 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 to do this, right? Sp- specifically with crypto, because cryptocurrency threatens governments. Like, if you, if you really understand what, what cryptocurrency can do, it destabilizes, because governments have two power, power over money and power over violence, right? They get a monopoly on money and monopoly on violence. That's how they manage societies. And so if you take away their monopoly on money, which is what cryptocurrency and Bitcoin can do, um, that's threatening to their power, right? So they they actually don't want that. They can't fight it. Just like the news people didn't want, they don't love the fact that we could all create the narrative today. They don't like that. You know what I mean? But they couldn't stop it. Like it's not, it's going to happen. So, so no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Although I do think there are always people that are trying to stop it. But there's also, I'm like a nerd. So I like Star Wars or like Flash where it talks about the speed force. But the force, there's, there's all, or, or Chinese call it yin and yang. Because there's always going to be two competing forces I don't think there's ever going to be a grand conspiracy to being able to pull to pull it off because those forces continue to fight. And the, the force that's for progress and that continues to help us get better 
always wins in the long term, right? In the short term, Darth Vader won in the first movie, right? I think he blew that planet up. <laughs> but he eventually lost. So good question. Alrighty. Well, y'all enjoy your day. Make sure you follow Darlisa and her center. I think it's important to, even if you're not interested, support it, follow it so you can forward it to friends who, who need it. And y'all enjoy your day. Thanks. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.